Well, good morning again. It's so good to see you. And we are starting a series I'm really excited about. For the next nine weeks, we'll be going through Ephesians. And Ephesians was a letter that a man named Paul wrote to a bunch of believers that lived in a city named Ephesus. Now, Paul was a man who at one point in his life very much was opposed to the message of Jesus. In fact, he was one of the leading individuals who would attack and persecute and even oversee the execution of people who placed their faith and trust in Jesus and told others about his story. But Paul had this incredible encounter with God where he was literally knocked off his horse. He saw who Jesus was. His life was changed. And he became a man who went on multiple missionary journeys, bringing the good news of Jesus to the Gentile world. And on his third missionary journey, he landed in a city named Ephesus. Ephesus was like a commercial center at that time, we, almost like a New York City, a very bustling, popular place where uh, all sorts of commerce went through and ideas and people and all sorts of things happening there. Paul spent anywhere from two to three years in Ephesus helping that church get started. And at this point in his life, it's about 62 AD, and he's back in, he's in Rome. He's been arrested for his uh, preaching of the gospel. He is imprisoned. He's either in a Roman prison or under house arrest. And he wants to write a letter to the church at Ephesus, these people that he gave his life to for two to three years. And this is what we have in the book of Ephesians, his words to the people in Ephesus. And the book of Ephesians has two main themes, one being that Christ has reconciled us to God, that our vertical relationship with God has been made right because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf, but also, secondly, that Christ wants to make our relationship with one another right, that in Christ he wants to unite, in this context, the Jew and the Gentiles into one new man, but all of his people into one church that will glorify and honor him and live for his glory. So Ephesians, if, you, if anyone asks you what's Ephesians about, think, it, think about it this way, our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationships. And so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, good place to start, and in this passage we're going to see that God has so many incredible blessings for us, and we're going to learn something about these blessings. So beginning in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, and our church, many of our church family has been reading this passage together these last couple of days using our read together um, option, and you can get that information on our church website. Verse 3, all praise to God, other translations actually say, blessed be God, okay, So blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Three times in this first phrase, the word blessed or blessing. Blessed be God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united or in Christ. Even before he made the world, way back when, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us. So Paul uses now a different metaphor to explain the blessings of God that we've been brought into his family. We've been adopted. When you're adopted, you're given the legal privileges as every other child in that family is. Adopted us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And I love this phrase. And it gave him great pleasure. God delighted and rejoiced to adopt you into his family. Next verse. So, in response to all of this, we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich, so rich in kindness and grace. I envision bank vaults full in heaven of his kindness and his grace. So rich in kindness and grace 
that he purchased our freedom, he redeemed us, he paid a price for us with the blood of his son, and he forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness upon us. Uh, he's lavished his kindness upon us along with all wisdom and understanding. Two more verses. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And then finally it says, and this is the plan, that at the right time he will, future tense, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. What a passage. I was texting a friend this morning, a pastor friend. He's like, uh, what are you preaching on this morning? I said, I'm preaching from Ephesians chapter 1, and, and the passage is so amazing. I almost feel like my assignment is don't mess it up. <laughs> don't get in the way of what this passage says. Because what Paul, and by the way, this is one massive run-on sentence. For those of you that are grammar police, you would have hated the way Paul wrote. It's like a 200-word run. It's almost like if you can picture Paul, just sort of like it's a moment of worship for him. It's just sort of coming out of him, and he's saying, look at all the things that God has done for us. Look at what he is doing for us, and look that someday he will bring everything in heaven and on earth under the authority of Jesus Christ. Someday. We're not there yet but someday. And so I know everything in this passage sounds great, but what does it mean and how do we get it, right? How is it ours? And so there's three things I want us to learn together from Ephesians chapter one. Number one, where is the blessing found? Number two, how does the blessing change us? And then lastly, why is the blessing available? Where is it found? How does it change us? Why is it available? So first, where is the blessing found? The first verse where Paul, or the third verse, I should say, where Paul says that the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That phrase, every spiritual blessing, it means that you got the full collection. If there was a collection of God's blessings, you got every single issue, every single episode, every single item, you have it. It includes things like, and he mentions this, election, that God chose you, adoption, that he brought you into his family, redemption, that he paid the price for your sins, the forgiveness of our sins so that our sins are no longer held against us, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those are the spiritual blessings that we have, but where are those spiritual blessings? And 11 times in this passage, Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, in him, or in the beloved. And it's like Paul wants to hit us over the head with this truth. The blessings of God are found in Christ. You know, some people recently have asked me, how come you don't tell any stories anymore about your puppy? And I actually think there's, based on my previous stories, I actually think there's a level of concern when they ask me, like, is he still with us? Is everything okay? We still have Mickey. He turns a year this Saturday. Uh, believe me, every day our, I make our family vote whether to keep him or not. And every day I lose four to one. Um, so we still got Mickey. The reason I talk about him less is he's actually getting better behaved. So he's kind of less interesting for the purpose of stories. However, one of the things I'm learning about dogs is that obviously they're, they're very smart, right? Dogs are smart, not, not cats, but dogs are very, very, very smart. And dogs will begin to pick up on your words. So even when you're not talking to them, if they hear you say a trigger word, they think it's for them. So if I'm talking to my daughters and I'm saying, hey, you know, the other day I was out for a walk and he hears the word walk and he loses his mind. He starts flipping out. He starts running in circles. And so when we say to Mickey, hey, Mickey, you want to go for a walk? He's like all like hyper and excited and jumping around. And he runs over to where his leash is because he knows what needs to happen. 
So we got to put his harness on and we got to put the, the, the leash and we got to attach to the harness. And it's so difficult because he won't sit still for us. Like all he has to do is chill out. We want to bless him with a walk, but he won't position himself in a way where we can give him the blessing we want to give him. And sometimes in our lives, Christians are like, I want all the blessings that God has for me, but we're not willing to position ourselves to receive the blessings that he wants to give us. And how do we position ourselves? We position ourselves in Christ. There is this imagery in the New Testament that Christians literally hide themselves in Christ. As if Christ is our hiding place and we, we, we find ourselves and we hide ourselves and we lose ourselves, so to speak, in Christ. And it's in Christ that every spiritual blessing can be ours. But we're always so tempted to hide ourselves in other things and then expect Jesus to bless us. Let me give you some examples. Some Christians hide themselves in their religious performance. This is what they look to. I've been so good. I've read my Bible every day. I pray. I give. I go to church. And they're hiding themselves in their own religious activity. And the blessing that God wants to give you is not in hiding yourself in your efforts, but hiding yourself in what Christ has accomplished for you. Some people hide themselves in their resumes and their career and their wealth and their bank account. And that's where they find real security and real significance and their, height and their heart really belongs to those things and their heart trusts in those things more than God. But then they say, God, I also want all the blessings, but, I, but I'm hiding myself in lesser things and other things. Some of the ways that you'll know what you're hiding yourself in, and it can be all sorts of things. It can be a relationship, it can be power, it can be control, it can be pleasure, it can be independence, all sorts of things. You'll know what you're hiding yourself in because of what you think about all the time, what you daydream about all the time, where you're where the attention of your mind and the affections of your heart most easily go, what you desire most. You know how else you know what you're hiding yourself in? What has the most control of your emotions? And when you can't get that thing that you want to hide yourself in, it causes tremendous anger, tremendous anxiety, tremendous frustration, out-of-control emotion. You'll know that you're trying to hide yourself in something other than Christ. Another way is what has the power to most quickly and easily ruin your day or make your day? Those are the things, the attention of a person, you know, a kind word. I understand those are all good things. We're not talking about bad things. We're talking about good things. But when we try to hide ourselves in good things as if they're going to give us what Christ has given us, where we are, in a way, keeping the blessings of God from, from coming to us. Instead of hiding ourselves in the approval of another or the advancement of a cause or power or success or spiritual accomplishments, we hide ourselves in Christ. And being hidden in Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul calls it a spiritual blessing, because it's the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of the blessings that we have received. In fact, let's look at this passage in verse 13. Uh, Paul goes on later to say that God gave you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit, look at this, is God's guarantee, it's God's promise, it's God's word, it's God's stamp, it's God's seal, it's God saying, I will do what I said I would do. The guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his people. He did this, why? So that we might praise and glorify him. So where is the blessing found? It's found from the Father, in the Son, by the Spirit. From the Father, in the Son, but by the Holy Spirit who brings these blessings to reality in our lives. Second thing we learn here is how the blessing changes us. Let's go back to verse 4 where Paul says, 
Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This phrase is amazing. Even before he made the world. And when I was studying this passage this week, this thought hit me. I don't know if I'll be able to communicate it well to you or not, but it's this idea that like before nothing existed, God was doing stuff. That's incredible. Before nothing existed that currently exists, God was already at work doing stuff. And yet we, in our finite minds and our limited perspective, we think we know better than God a lot of the time. But here's a God who's so holy and so separate and so, uh, so wonderful and so beyond our understanding that before even anything existed, he was sitting there going, I choose him and I choose her and I love him and I love her. Before the beginning of time, God was doing things for you so that he could have you and so that he could know you and so that he could set you free and so that he could save you. But here's the other thing I thought about. You know, God, if this is true, that before he made the world, God loved and chose us in Christ, what this means is God chose you before you made any of the mistakes that you don't like about yourself. God chose you before you did anything good. God chose you before your best days, before your worst days, before your mistakes, before your wins. God chose you before the, the things that you're trying to hide from other people. God knew all that about you. See, we choose things, we make decisions, and don't know what we're getting into sometimes, right? Should I talk about Mickey again? <laughs> we choose things and then later realize, oh, crud, I really messed up. God's never said, oh, crud, I really messed up. If God chose you and loved you before he made the world, what are you going to do now that's going to talk him out of it? What are you going to do now that's going to make him regret it? What are you going to do to make him change his mind? If he chose you before he made the world and he loved you before he made the world in Christ to be holy and faultless in his eyes, then it doesn't hinge on you. That should, be a, that should be a lot of peace for some of you. That should be a lot of relief for some of you. That it's not your hold on God that secures you. It's his hold on you that secures you. And God chose you and he loves you before he made the world and he doesn't regret it and he won't be talked out of it and he won't change his mind and he's given you his Holy Spirit as the guarantee that he will keep his promise. But why did he choose us? He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And I wanna talk about this phrase, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Because on one hand, what hope do we have to be faultless? Anyone faultless? Anyone perfect? Anyone never made a mistake? Of course not. We have no hope in ourselves to be faultless in the eyes of God. And that is the point of the gospel. That you and I have no hope in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ we have every hope. Because the heart of the gospel is this. You cannot achieve the salvation of God, but you can receive the salvation of God. You cannot achieve the righteousness that is required of you, but you can receive the righteousness because Jesus Christ was perfect in our place. And so what we receive is called positional righteousness, legal righteousness, that we stand righteous in the eyes of a holy God so that when God looks at you, if you place your faith and trust fully and solely in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you as a cleaned up version of yourself, as the best version of yourself, as an improved version of yourself, as a better than five years ago version of yourself, as a Sunday morning version of yourself. He sees you, listen, as if you lived the life Jesus lived. That's how the Father looks at you. That's why we can be faultless in his eyes, not because we have it together, but because Jesus had it together. And he got it right. Everywhere we get it wrong, he got it right. Every time we, we lose our temper, he kept his. 
Every time our hearts wander, his remained faithful. And he didn't come just to be our example. He came to be our substitute, which means he did it in our place. And that's the miracle of the gospel that Jesus' performance record is given to us. His resume is given to us. His medal hangs around our neck. That's what it means to be faultless in his eyes. And so here's what it means, by the way. Christians can't take credit for their salvation. We should be the least prideful, arrogant people out there because we can't take a single ounce of credit for our salvation. I've heard it said this way. The only thing we contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. We We do not take credit for our salvation. Amen? However, there's another side to this. And the other side of it is when Paul says that you've been chosen in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This word holy does not just speak of morality or behavior. It speaks of the fact that God has set us apart for purposes. So when you have china in your cabinet, in your kitchen, in your dining room, it's holy. Why is it holy? Because it's clean, hopefully. But also because you only bring it out for certain special occasions, right? That's what the word holy means here, is that God has set us apart not just to be clean, but to be set apart for very specific purposes, specifically for his purpose, to live for his praise and for his glory. And so Christians are called to live differently. So here's what it means to be a Christian. You don't take any credit for your salvation, but you don't make any excuses for your sin. So I'm, not, I'm saved by grace. I don't take any of the credit for it, but I also don't use that as liberty to sin. I also don't use that as an excuse to go do whatever I want. Because if Christ has done this for me and showered his kindness upon me, then how can I not live differently in the light of that, right? I have three daughters. Our girls are 13, 10, and 7, all sick at home right now. None of them have COVID, but all sick at home right now. I know there's a lot of stuff going around. we got a lot of people in our church dealing with that, so we're praying for health for our community and our church family. But 13, 10, and 7, and one of the things that I've learned is that when kids are little, little, like my 7-year-old, when somebody gives her something, I often have to ask her this question. What do you say? Right? Parents, you've asked that question. What do you say? Now, when they're teenagers, it shifts from what do you say to what did you just say, right? It's a totally, it's a to- totally different question. But with, with little kids, you're mostly trying to teach them that when somebody does something wonderful for you, when somebody blesses you, it's good to respond. And if we have received the kindness of God's grace and mercy, the riches of his grace and mercy, and he has lavished and poured out his kindness on us, how can we then look at that gift and then go sin? How can we then go look at that gift and say, it's cool, I'm glad I got it, but it doesn't actually change me. It has to change us. It calls us to live for his purposes and not for our own, to move from being selfish to selfless for his praise and for his glory. And so Christians don't take credit for their salvation, but they do not make excuses for their sins. And then lastly this morning, and the band's going to come up and join me, Why is the blessing available? Look at this verse in verse 7. It says, He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. This purchased our freedom. This is redemption. He redeemed. He bought us back. At what cost? With the blood of his son who forgave our sins. And this word redemption here, that God bought us back, to the Jewish reader, it would have made them think about the book of Exodus. When God redeemed the people of Israel and purchased them and brought them out of bondage and bought them out of Egyptian slavery into freedom so they could be his people. 
And that same sort of promise is provided in Jesus Christ who came to give us a new exodus, if I can call it that, a new way out, a way out of bondage, a way out of slavery, but a way into freedom. And it's only possible because of redemption. Somebody had to pay a price to buy us back because we were enslaved to all the things that we hide ourselves in that are not named Jesus Christ. And because we hide ourselves in those things, those things become our masters. They rule over us. We are enslaved to them. They have a claim on our lives. And someone had to come along and say, I'll buy them back. And God said, I will redeem my people for my purposes. And what did it cost him? It cost him the blood of his son. And that's what Jesus did at the cross is he shed his blood so that we could have the forgiveness of sins and that we could be redeemed and brought back to the Father. And it's available because of Jesus' work. And here's what all of this means. The Bible says that the one who hangs on a tree is cursed. Jesus Christ went to the cross and on the cross he took the curse that you and I deserve because we hide ourselves in, in, in other things. And he secured for us the blessing that only he deserved because he's the only perfect one. But he took our curse, he became the cursed one so that we could become the blessed ones. And that's why Paul could write with confidence, blessed be God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places where Christ is and where we will someday reign and rule with him. And it's all because of Jesus and what he did for us. Where is the blessing found? It's found in Jesus. You can spend your whole life looking everywhere else for it. It's not out there. The blessing our hearts need the freedom our heart needs, the hope our heart needs, the joy our heart needs. It's not found out there, it's found in Christ. How does it change us? He set us apart to be holy and faultless in his eyes. Once you realize you've been made faultless in his eyes, you will respond with a life of obedience and worship and let yourself be set apart for his purposes. And then why is it available? Because Jesus Christ did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves.